starting a new series. Um, so what's been uh, wrestling within me is um, we're, we're approaching, we just finished Easter uh, not too many weeks ago, and we are approaching Pe Pentecost. And you know what? Sometimes people just seem to use church as a holiday. You know, Christmas and Easter are the most packed services in church. And um, like for whatever reason, it, they just seem to be the most packed services in church. And there are other important times in God's word um, that are spoken about that can also be packed. And I'm thinking of Pentecost. Maybe because I've grown up in the Pentecostal churches, I, I just want to preface this. Just because you've grown up in the Pentecostal church does not make you Pentecostal. I have to say this. This is my conviction for those listening and for those in-house. It's just Melody's conviction, okay? You're not Pentecostal unless you've experienced the Pentecostal experience. Then you could say you're Pentecostal. Otherwise, you are born again, follower of Christ, which we all are. But when you've encountered the Holy Spirit spoken of in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, when you have tasted of that Holy Spirit, you can say you are Pentecostal. Just because you eat pasta doesn't make you Italian. It doesn't. I'm sorry, it doesn't. But if you were born in Italy, or if you have the descendantry of Italian blood within you, then you could possibly say, I'm Italian, you know? I'm Canadian because I'm born in Canada, but my descendants um, on my father's side, on my mother's side, are of the Italian descent. So I was taught, you are Canadian with an Italian descent. I am a born-again Christian with the Pentecostal experience. And so it just resides within me, and, and I just love the subject, and I, and I just love the Holy Spirit. And so I, I sometimes wonder why Pentecost, day of Pentecost, is not the most attended service. I mean call it a little weird wonder, but it is a wonder in my heart. Um, why, why don't we speak of the Holy Spirit as often as we can? And, and um, it, like when I was a young person growing up, the minute you got saved, the next thing you were encouraged to do was to seek for the, for the Holy Spirit. You received the Holy Spirit when you were born again? You received the Holy Spirit because it was him who convicted and convinced you of your sin. It was him who was going to teach you and lead you and guide you in the way. But the evidence of the Holy Spirit was by witness of the, the speaking in tongues. The empowerment of the Holy Spirit came through that. And, and so that has been my DNA, my spiritual DNA. And so this series... Now what? Awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit is what the series is. It's just going to be four weeks. And we're going to talk about the different things that happened. And there wasn't a whole lot that scripture says. But in the 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. What, what took place? Who did he meet with? What did they experience? While they were awaiting the Holy Spirit, we will talk about the Holy Spirit intertwined in these. And so tonight we are going to look at the commission 
and the rebuilding. The commission and the rebuilding, we're going to talk specifically about two characters, Thomas and Peter. So we celebrated Easter and this is the, the uh, com commemoration of Jesus rising from the dead, right? But what took place afterwards? There were disciples. If you could imagine that you were there back in the time when Jesus had died on the cross and then he rose from the dead and there were only some that had heard of the news because he, he appeared to some first and then go and tell. We're going to talk about that after when he, um, in the weeks coming when he appeared to Mary Magdalene and then the disciples and go and tell. But imagine being of those people like those on the road to him who had not yet heard that Jesus rose from the dead and they were distraught of heart. They were distraught of heart. And so we're in a time where the people are distraught of heart and they are needing to be rebuilt. They're, di they're disappointed. Some are, are, are downcast. But we thought he was the Messiah. We thought he was the promised one. Perhaps our, some are even questioning themselves. Why did you even believe? What possessed you to believe? You should have held to your, your, your Jewish roots. Why, why did you get deviated? And, and who knows the different questions, but you could insert questions that you would have had if you were to transport yourself back in that time. But Acts 1 and 4 says this. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of of the father what was this promise of the father that jesus is relating to what was this promise well verse 8 tells us of the same chapter but you will receive power when the holy spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in jerusalem and in all of judea and samaria and to the ends of of the earth. And so in verse 8 is the verse that I pulled out for tonight. The commission and the rebuilding is you will receive power and you will be my witness. You will receive power and you will be my witness. So the promise is the receiving and the witnessing. So some things we don't know um, about some of the details about the post-resurrection when Jesus appeared uh, to those that were around are not accounted for in every gospel. But we know that Luke, he likes to give a more detailed account, perhaps because Luke is a doctor. And so he's more thorough in his assessing. Maybe he's more attentive to detail as a doctor would be. And so he tells us of the account of the two on the road to Emmaus, as I mentioned in Luke 24. He tells us of the account of, of the Lord's appearances to his apostles as well in, in um in Luke and the the brief description of Jesus's ascension just before leaving and returning to the father and so acts 1 going back to that acts 1 we find the account that Jesus presented himself alive to them verses 3 to 5 after his suffering by many proofs appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God and while staying with them he ordered them as we've read not to depart from 
Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 1 Corinthians gives us the... um, Chapter 15, verses 5 to 7, gives us again more detail of this. And that he appeared to Peter, or to Caiaphas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, and then to all of the apostles. So here is Jesus, 40 days after his resurrection, and and he is still remaining on earth before he returns to his father. And what do we know? He has appeared to Mary Magdalene and the other woman. He appeared to his disciples. He appeared to the 10 apostles. He appeared to 11 apostles. There were different events and uh, different appearances that he had. He met with with the seven apostles on the Sea of Galilee, and he met with 11 apostles on the Galilee mountain, and he appeared to 500, he appeared to James, and he met with the apostles in Jerusalem, and he ascends into heaven. So these are the different activities that we see of Jesus, just in brief, and on those 40 days. But tonight, I want to focus on two characters, as I mentioned. Thomas and Peter. Here's something interesting about Thomas. If I say Thomas, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Doubting Thomas. Doubting Thomas. Why doubting Thomas? Because that's how he is referenced to us in the word of God. He's referenced to us as doubting Thomas and he is referenced to, referenced to us as also uh, taught him, Thomas, also known as Didymus. What did Didymus mean? It's okay if you don't know. It means twin. So Thomas was a twin. So we, are, we have two things that we know about Thomas. He struggles with doubting and he, and he is a twin. But we do not know where this other twin is. That's the only thing we know about Thomas. That's it. It's all that we know about Thomas. What we know of story, what Trent, what we are going to look into. But those are the two main things about Thomas that we know. And Luke tells us that Jesus wants to make himself known to his disciples. If, if I consider that, he is making himself known to his disciples because the word of God is as powerful as it was then when he was living flesh as it is now when we are reading the words of life because his word is life. And so he's wanting to make himself revealed to his disciples, but also to us. Because tonight, you could be that doubting Thomas. You could be that one that, well, I know that Easter took place because the Bible says it. My pastor says it. Some people don't even read the Bible for themselves. They just take for an account that the pastor has said it. The pastor preached about it. The pastor preached about it and quoted different history books. And so it must be real. But when you read the word of God and it comes alive to you, then these doubts could be left a base because now you have read it and the Holy Spirit can reveal to you the truth. And so we have this man named Doubting Thomas and Jesus appeared to him. 
So we know he's doubting Thomas. We know that he's a twin. But he's only referenced four times. We know these two things about him. But he's only referenced four times. He's referenced twice before Jesus dies. And he's referenced twice after Jesus' death. The very first time he is referenced is when... Jesus in John chapter 11 is going to go because he found out that Lazarus had died. And he says, well, he's not truly dead. He is just asleep. And so Thomas says to the disciples at that time when they are preparing to go, why don't we go with him, verse 16, why don't we go with him so that we may die with him? See, Thomas recognized something. Jesus was going to be going through Jerusalem where he was going to be going through the land where there was going to be his enemies, the Pharisees. And in going through this and going through the enemies, he, Thomas, I believe, had the discernment to recognize that Jesus was preparing for his death because he says, let us go with him that we may die with him. It's something that you could easily miss, but go to John chapter 11 if you could. And as you see here, he, it says, um, let us also go, let us go to Judea again. And here is where Jesus's, where Jesus's enemies are. And what does Thomas want to do? Thomas, also called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. He's already picking up, he's already discerning Jesus's death. Jesus has not yet told his disciples this yet. This is before his, his uh, last dinner with them. Before Jesus has revealed, I'm going to, pre, I'm going to return to my father. But, G, but Thomas had some sort of discernment. If he's going to die, let's go die with him. Because this is where all the Pharisees are. This is a territory where the Pharisees are going to encrouch upon him. So if our Messiah is going to die, we need to be there with him. Let's go down with him. So the second time John mentions Thomas is the night of the Last Supper in John chapter 14. And Jesus is telling his disciples that he is going to prepare a place for them. But where he is going, they cannot come with him, right? And he says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I wouldn't be telling you this. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. And then Jesus throws this out to them and you know where I am going and Thomas is the only one who is brave enough to speak because I'm sure the others were going but where is he going but where is he going I'm sure they were thinking it but Thomas is the only one who is brave enough to say where are you going Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know the way? He's the only one brave enough to speak the truth. I don't know where you're going, and I don't know the way to where you're going. And Jesus returns. 
replies and it's the most famous answer. You could recall it off the, off the top of your head, even if you didn't know where it was found. But verse six says, Jesus replied, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And if you were to go on and read, he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And so Jesus introduces them to this. Look, where I'm going, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And if you had known me, you will know the father also. It, he's already prefacing for them. I and the father are one. He's already laying the foundation for them. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. And so there Thomas receives his answer and the passage then goes on to say um, verse, verse 7 the latter part from now on you do know him and you have seen him and Philip said to him Lord show us the father and it's enough for us and Jesus says you've been with me all this time how is it that you don't know that's my summarization. How is it that you don't know? And so here we have the two accounts just before Jesus dies of Thomas being introduced to us. And that's it. Thomas, let's follow him. He's going to die. Let's die with him. If anything happens to him, if anything takes place, if any of these Pharisees should come upon him, let's die with him. Let's stand with our Lord. And then Thomas is bold enough to speak the truth of his heart. Lord, I don't know where you're going. How can I know the way? Here he's been with Jesus for three years and he's bold enough to say, I still don't know the way. How many of us go to church time and time again, and yet we're not bold enough to say, I don't have all the answers. Jesus, would you show me the way? Jesus, like, I've been with you all this time, and yet you're, you're saying you're going to the Father, and yet I, I don't fully get that. How are you, are you ever, or have you ever been willing enough to say, Lord, I just don't get what I'm reading. Lord, I, I just don't understand what I've just read. Enough so that the Holy Spirit can come and bring you that revelation. Here is Thomas, and he has that boldness enough to say, and Jesus responds, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But the other two incidences in which Jesus appears, or that we learn of Thomas, is after Jesus' death. After Jesus' death, he appeared to his disciples. Now imagine they're all in the room. Can you imagine it, all of us in this room, the doors are shut, and we're all talking about Jesus dying. Oh, I really miss him. I really miss just hearing his voice. Just, it, it, just his voice was comforting. Oh, I loved it when, you, you remember when he, he healed that little girl and he said to her, Talitha Kumi, da daughter arise. And, and what about those that witnessed him on the cross? 
how they would have expressed, it really hurt my heart when I just saw him suffer. What about John when he would have shared it with the others? Just to see my Lord suffering the way that he did, I can't even speak of it because my heart breaks when I just think of how he called out to his father, why have you forsaken me? And I was feeling forsaken in that moment while my Lord was on the cross and I was watching him suffering. And imagine the conversations of the room. Imagine the despair as they are in the raw moments of one another just saddened by the loss of their savior and their hearts are being vulnerable and they're saying truly how they feel the scripture doesn't unveil it but we can know just by virtue of who we are when we have lost a loved one and we sit down and we begin to remember their life and we begin to remember the impact that they had upon us and we remember the happy days with them and we remember the sad days with them and then now all of a sudden for those that may have been at their bedside when they breathe their last breath and they begin to tell us what it was like to watch them suffer and breathe their last breath and there in that moment we engage with them in the pain of the loss so I believe that while they were in this room and while they were gathered, they were no doubt reminiscing of their time with their Savior. And I just want to pause and say this. After COVID is done, it'll never be done. But what I'm saying is after now this lockdown is done and we've come out of it, have we ever stopped? to think to ourselves I remember like David said I remember when I used to lead the procession to the church I remember when I would sing oh my soul what and he's saying why are you so downcast my soul why are you a despair within me look to the Lord for you will one day hope again so many of us get so locked up within our house we have become so bound by the rules and the regulations that we have forgotten what it was like to worship the Lord and the freedom of his sanctuary in the freedom of being with our brothers and our sisters and then we get talking on the phone I remember the good old days when we used to have altar calls I remember when brother so-and-so came and prayed for me that one time when I was really struggling with and we get talking on the phone and we re reminisce with one another and so now I'm wondering in this post time where we are being allowed out to play per se are we like those disciples in that upper room is the hunger for our savior burning within us we are on the theme, now what? Awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. And I want us to engage in it as though we were Thomas, as though we were Peter, as though when we look at Mary Magdalene or when we look at the, the men on the road to Emmaus, are we yearning in that place? Has COVID arrested you to the point that it numbed you to the sensitivity of God moving in your life? 
You see here as they were meeting in that room, Luke 24 gives the account, verses 36 to 49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you, of course. The doors are shut and they're there talking. And all of a sudden Jesus appears. He needs to say peace because I'm sure. Have you ever turned a corner and all of a sudden somebody's there? Ah! Yeah, okay, you, you get startled. So imagine these guys, ah, <laughs> peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit and they said, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? You see, it is true. The enemy was stirring in their hearts doubt. The enemy was stirring within their hearts. Their purpose in believing was futile. They should never have have even accepted that he was their Messiah. They should never have even believed that he would possibly rise again. The enemy was birthing within them doubts and, and, and contrary thoughts. And he says to them, verse 39, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. And he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scripture, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name. Here's the commission, that it should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. Here's something significant in this moment of Luke 24 Thomas is not there he appears to his disciples but he's not there they're doubting but he's called the doubter how do we know they're doubting because he said to him why are why do doubts arise in your heart but Thomas is the one called the doubter I don't know where Thomas was the scripture doesn't give us the location of where he is but if I were Thomas in that moment I've gone for a long walk to figure things out and in that long walk I'm having a conversation with God because I just don't get it And so Jesus appears to them and he tells them, why do doubts arise? And I bet you in that room, because Thomas's nickname was Thomas, come on, let's let's have an honest moment here. Have you ever been in church and said, sister so and so needs to hear this. She should have been here this morning. Brother so-and-so needed to hear this. He should have been here this morning. Well, in this moment, when Jesus is saying, why do doubts arise in your heart? And they all know that Thomas's nickname is the doubter, and he's 
doubting Thomas, I bet they nudged one another and said, Thomas needed to be here to hear this message from our Lord. And so without a doubt, I am convinced that they went looking for Thomas because if we go to John chapter 20, verses 24 and 28, we see that it says now that Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. And it said, so the other disciples told him, have you ever gone home from church and called somebody and said, you needed to hear the message this morning. It was so great. Let me tell you about it. Well, I believe this is what transpired with the disciples because they knew their friend's nickname was Doubter. And they went looking for him and they said, Thomas, you should have been with us. We know you went for the long walk. We know you had to work this out in your own head. But let us tell you this, the Lord showed up. He's alive. And so what happens? It said, so the other disciples told them, we have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I just told you I've seen the Lord. I just told you I've experienced him. When you first experienced Christ as your Savior... And in your excitement, you told others, they were like, ah, I don't need to hear that. I'm not interested in that. That is the situation that Thomas is exposing to us. The natural response of man. Unless I see the nail prints. Oh, until I experience him the way you're talking about. I'll never believe it. Oh, that's, uh, that, well, that's good for you, but I'm sorry, that's not for me. And so Jesus, the gracious Lord that he is, says, it says in verse 26, eight days later, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Once again, although the doors were locked, Jesus comes, peace be with you. And then he turned to Thomas and he says, put your finger here. See my hands. Put, your hand, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And what was Thomas's answer? My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. Why? Because he saw the evidence. Jesus appears eight days later. So could you fathom this? When Jesus appeared to the disciples the first time, Thomas wasn't there, but they go to tell him. And for eight days, the Lord allows it that Thomas's heart, where was Jesus during this time? What was he doing during that time that he did, that he allowed for Thomas for eight days, a mullet in his heart? 
And yet here, when he shows himself to, to Thomas, he says, Thomas, this, look in my hands. Look at, look at my side. Put your hand in my side. Could you imagine taking the hand of Jesus and just seeing that hole there? Could you imagine just taking your hand and putting it into the side where, where, the, where they thrust, they poked him, and where water and blood came forth? Remember, we spoke of that on, on Good Friday. Could you imagine of what that would have done for you in your faith walk? We have the account to read. But how has the Lord revealed himself to you? How has the Lord made himself known to you that you know that you know he is the Lord? I've told this story a few times in the church, but just to add it already to, to, to just impact this or, or solidify this, when I received a ticket for, going, for having a car accident, and it was, it was at a light section, um, I had a green light. I know for a fact I had a green light. Two other passengers in the car saw the green light as well. What I've learned through that situation is sometimes, sometimes the lights go off their sequence. They are automatically, their computer operator, computers do have their glitches. So sometimes lights go off their sequence. And so sometimes when you go to lights, they can both be green at the same time. And sometimes accidents have um, happened because of that. So when police report to a scene and both people are saying that they had a green light, the police, the first step that they must do is go check with the sequencing to see if accidentally the computer had glitched, in which case they would not be charged. I had a novice officer that night. He was a, a rookie, and that's not to put him down. That's just to say he was very novice, and so he didn't check the lights. But not, regardless of that, I received this ticket, and so I get this big, long speech with him. You can blah, 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 in court, blah, blah, blah. You could appear this, and yet I, I was, like, too overwhelmed with all that had happened because... Over $45,000 of damage was done to my front vehicle for the impact. So it wasn't just a little bumper. It was a, a, a significant accident, and um, my car was not drivable. So I did the court thing. I go there, and um, I had a really strong... Um, I prayed, guys. I just believed that God was going to free me and clear me from that ticket. And um, the, I forget what they're called, but you go to them just before you're going to stand in front of the judge. Um, anyways, it doesn't matter. I, I went and I appealed and she says, oh, uh, we're going to lessen the points and um, you just plead guilty and, and that's it. I says, oh, but yeah, no, I had a green light. Listen, I've, I've read all the, all the police report and I didn't even get to say to her and I was instructed by a police officer, make sure you ask 
was the green, was the light sequencing checked? So I went to say that to her, but I got very intimidated by her, her strong persona. And she says, take it or leave it, go and sit down and think about it. And then you can come back and talk to me later. And I looked at this whole, <laughs> this courtroom, which was filled with people and I'm overwhelmed by everything. And I'm like, okay. And I went and sat down and, and the guy in front of me was a born again Christian. And, and he said, you know what? Take their plea bargain and that's it. Get out. You'll be over it in two years, whatever. Okay. I felt, okay, Lord, I sat there and I prayed about it. And I went up and the, the judge, are you guilty? And um, you have to plead guilty. Not once, not twice, but three times. By the time I was done that I was next, I was in a moment that I was fighting every tear because I knew with all my heart, it was a green light. I knew with all of my heart. And so um, I, ple I pled guilty the one last time and accepted the new charge that they were going to give me. And as I walked out of the courthouse and I was walking to my vehicle, well, it was a rental, but whatever. I, I was walking to the vehicle and, and um, I just shut the door and I just broke down and cried. And I said, but Lord, but Lord, you know I wasn't guilty. You know I wasn't guilty, Lord. Why? And he turned and he said to me, I heard it. And I say he turned and he said to me because that's exactly how I heard it, like this. Neither was I but I paid the price because I said, Lord, I wasn't guilty. And now I have this ticket that I have to pay. I wasn't even guilty. And he said, neither was I, but I paid the price. And immediately I, I was overwhelmed in that moment that I even turned to him, though he wasn't there in the physical form. I turned to him and all that I could do was praise him. All that I could do was worship him. I didn't see him. I didn't, I didn't get to touch any nails, nail scars in his hand. I never even got to put my hand in his side, but sufficient that I heard loud and clear. Neither was I, but I paid the price that my heart began to rejoice. I didn't even know how I was going to pay this $400 ticket. I didn't even know where the money was coming from, but I left that, that part spot and I drove to my next appointment and um, I was meeting with a family whose loved one had just passed away and I had to perform the funeral and so I met with them and I'm trying to have all my composure because I just had a, a sad moment with a praise moment and I'm just enjoying the Jesus that was beside me and the Jesus that spoke to me and so I'm, I'm there trying to grieve with them and, 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 and do all that you have to do Days pass, do the funeral, and I'm about to leave the, the uh, funeral home, and the director came up to me, and he, he gave me an envelope, and I says, oh, what's this? He says, oh, it's the death certificate that you performed the, um, the, um, the, the funeral and, and, uh, and your payment. I says, my, my pardon? I just thought that it was stuff we had to do, right? And I, and I says, pardon? He says, oh, your payment, so I get my car, I just put it in my purse, and I didn't look at it till I got home, because again, I, I just thought it was protocol. Well, the Lord covered that ticket. 
the Lord covered that ticket. That was my moment of here I went there to the courtroom. I had prayed. I had other friends praying with me. I knew I was innocent. I came out. The results were not what I wanted. The disciples, they knew he was the Messiah. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Only God could reveal this to you, Peter. Yes, that's right. Who do, I knew that I was innocent. They knew their Lord was the Messiah. They knew who he was. But now by all measures of what they saw in front of them was that he had died. Where was he? But he appears to them. When did Jesus appear to you that your faith was stirred, that it caused you to believe that he was not just the son of God, but he was your savior, that he came to redeem you, that he came to reveal himself to you? When was the time? Recount, recall it to your mind because as you recall it to your mind and as you live by it and you always live with the memory of when Jesus showed himself to you, your whole trajectory of your spiritual walk changes. You don't walk as one who is downcast. You don't walk as one who is lost without purpose. You don't walk as, as one who is, who, who is without hope. You walk knowing the one who is hope. His name is Jesus. You walk as one who has purpose because he will lead you and guide you. When did you encounter the Christ? When did he save you? What convinced you to believe? Keep that at the forefront of your heart. We're on the days of waiting for the promise. And so Thomas was a doubter. But there was one other individual in the room when Jesus appeared, and this struck me. It wasn't spoken of. He was not spoken of, but the disciples were referenced as being there, and so I know that this disciple was there. I know that he was, because if he wasn't, it would have said, just as it did in John, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them. So this other disciple was Peter. He was with them when Jesus appeared the first time. And he is again with them when Jesus comes to reveal himself to Thomas. Now let me ask you something. If you were Peter, how would you feel when Jesus specifically goes to Thomas, knowing what you had done just hours before Jesus had died. You see, Peter denied the Christ. Jesus foretold Peter that he would deny him. And Peter says, no, no, not me. Not me, Lord. No. Jesus says, Peter, before the rooster crows three times, you, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And now Jesus has come the second time to appear. 
You have the second opportunity to see him. You have the second opportunity to hear him say, peace be with you. In the midst of you knowing that you denied him with your heart. That you denied publicly before others that you ever knew him. That you denied publicly with your mouth that you were not with him. Even when others said, I saw you. You're one of the followers. No, 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 not me. This was Peter. And I wonder, how did Peter feel? Did the enemy rise up in that moment and jump into Peter? I just have to think this. This I just, I can't just not, I can't just read it and not put myself in the story and be the characters and feel the feelings that they're feeling. And so I'm thinking to myself, I know if I was Peter and I denied him and now Jesus is standing in front of me and he goes to Thomas and he makes himself known to Thomas and he hasn't come to me. Has he rejected me because I rejected him? Does Jesus not want to, to make himself known to me? When others called me out as knowing him, I said I didn't know him. Can you imagine what the enemy might have played, the type of game the enemy played in the mind of Peter when Thomas had the moment of glory with his Savior. That, that moment to say, my Lord and my God. Maybe, just maybe, Peter wanted to say, my Lord and my God. But the guilt and the condemnation caused him to feel the despair. Perhaps Peter just in that moment hung his head. And say, why, why didn't he appear to me? Why, why didn't he invite me to touch his, his side? Why, why, why didn't I get to hold his hand? I want to experience that too. Luke chapter 5 account gives the account of when Peter was called. And it says in verses 3 to 11, getting into the, one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. You need to fix that in your memory. Fix this in your memory, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Luke chapter 5, verse 4. Fix it in your memory. We will visit it in a moment. And when they had done, verse 6, this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. 
For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. Right here, Peter was commissioned to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Right here, Jesus commissioned Peter and do not be afraid, for now on you will be catching men. Imagine Peter in that room, watching Thomas get the attention, the one-on-one. And Peter missing out on it. And in that moment, remembering. I remember when he called out to me. I remember when he told me I'm going to catch men. And, and, and now he's not even talking to me. He's talking to Thomas. I, 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 I deserve that attention. I remember when I was asking the Lord to fill me with the Holy Spirit. I started asking the Lord that I would encounter his Holy Spirit when I was 13. I wanted to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I wanted to have my own heavenly language. I was 13 years old and I prayed right till I was 16 years old before I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And, and, and some of my friends were, were experiencing it before me. And I used to ask the Lord, why do they get to be filled before me? Why, why aren't you filling me? I'm praying, I'm asking. I was told if you pray and you believe, he will fill you. And, and, and how come, Lord, how come, how come she's being filled? I know what she did. And I would have a conversation with God like that, right? So I know if, if, if I'm human and I'm thinking this way, Peter did too. Peter thought that way for sure. I, he doesn't even have to tell me. I just have to know. I just know. I just know that maybe he was. Why didn't Jesus look at me and say, Peter. You, you denied me, but see my hand? Peter, 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 you remember? John 18 speaks of this denial, verses 15 to 17. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did other, another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood outside the door. So the other disciple who was known to the high priest went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, you also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? And Peter said what? I am not. I am not. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. Go jump down to verse 25. That was, that was uh, denial number one. Denial number two, verse 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, you also are not one of his disciples, are you? And he denied it and said, I am not. Number three, verse 26. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once the rooster crowed. Peter was in the room when Jesus appeared to them the first time, and Thomas wasn't there, and they all knew he was the doubter. 
And they all knew they had to tell, tell the doubter that Jesus had showed up and it was real. He was alive. He wasn't dead. And they made sure that Thomas got that message. Not only did the disciples make sure that Thomas got that message, but Jesus himself made sure that Thomas got that message eight days later. But what about Peter? What about Peter? He denied Jesus. Isn't Jesus going to give him a special visitation too? And so Jesus is no doubt, or Peter no doubt, is feeling this. And now, perhaps, as he's in that room and he sees that he doesn't get the special treatment that Thomas gets, he becomes down. And he becomes discouraged. And now plagued with guilt... He says, or perhaps he was plagued with guilt. I, I'm believing that he was. Perhaps he was ready to leave the ministry that Jesus called him to. I'm not going to be fishers of men no more. Perhaps his heart from denying Jesus three times in the friendship and the fellowship that he had with him. After all, that man whose ear was cut off... It was Peter who cut his ear off. Instead, the man says, aren't you the guy that was in the garden? He could have said, aren't you the guy that cut off my ear that Jesus healed? And Peter looking at him and doubting him, uh, uh, denying his heart had maybe grown cold, perhaps. Did the enemy put a false fear that Christ rejected him? What was happening with Peter? What happens in your mind? What game does the enemy play in your heart? What false guilt does the enemy impose upon you that disrupts your relationship with the Lord because you begin to bend your ear to his lies? You begin to believe what he is saying. Well, you know how Peter handled it? He said to them, guys, I'm going fishing. Now, when we read that, we think nothing about it. So what? The guy's going fishing. What's the big deal? He was called out of fishing. He was called out of fishing to be a fisher of men. He was called. The Lord himself went to him and called him. He was called out from that place. And Jesus used what was familiar to Peter so that Peter would understand the call that was upon his life. And now Peter is saying, I'm going fishing is an indication that Peter is ready to throw in the towel on his call. Peter is ready to give up on what Jesus called him to do. Peter is in a place of despair. For, for, if you're a man in, the, in, in, in listening online and, and Adam and, and our, our brother uh, Tulo, you, you, could, you could attest that for some men, fishing is therapeutic. They'll go out on the water just to relax. 
you know, go in their nothing box. I don't know how they have a box and, and, and how they are able to think about nothing. I, I would like to have just a moment, just a second to think about nothing. Uh, but I can't. But apparently men are able to do this because I ask my husband sometimes when he's just sitting there, what are you, what are you thinking about? He says nothing. And so I, I've asked him, I says, well, what do you mean nothing? Well, you, nothing. But you have to be thinking about something. No. So apparently men think about nothing. And so when they go fishing, that's the perfect time to think about nothing is when they're out on the water fishing. And so Peter is going to go fishing. Maybe he has to think about what he did. Maybe he needs to reflect in his heart. Maybe he has to do some introspection. Maybe he has to reconsider this whole Jesus stuff. Is he really called to the ministry? Is he really cut out to be a fisher of men? He's going to go fishing. And because he has leadership qualities... And because Jesus recognized those leadership qualities and said to him, your name will be called Peter and upon this rock I will build my church. Because Jesus called him out for the quality of leadership that was in him. Guess what happens when Peter says, I'm going fishing. He had a group of men that followed According to John 21, verses 2 and 3, it says this. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter says to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we'll go with you. And so this leader has already a following. And he goes out to go fishing. And it says this, they went out and got into the boat. Now pay attention as we're reading, but that night they caught nothing. Does it sound familiar to you? Did we not find out in Luke chapter 5 when Peter was called that he caught nothing that night? Is it not familiar? And so they caught nothing. Of course they didn't catch anything. And like happens to many fishermen we fished all night and caught nothing we fished all night and caught nothing that's what happened they fished all night and caught nothing and what happens go on to verse 4 just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And he said to them, children, have you any fish? He addresses them as children. <laughs> like Peter's ego must have really got under attack, right? And they answered, no. And he said, Cast the net on the right side of the boat. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it because of what? The quantity of fish. 
deja vu maybe, that's just the, the worldly term, but do you think in that moment Peter had an aha moment? Gee, this seems awfully familiar. I feel like I've lived this before. He doesn't. It takes John to tell him, you know, John, the one Jesus loved. <laughs> Another assault to Peter's ego, perhaps. It takes John to tell him, it's the Lord. The disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other di disciples came in the boat dragging the full... The, I'm sorry, I just had a visual and I'll catch you up in a moment. Dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards when they got out of the when they got out on land they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread okay we're going to stop there peter <laughs> puts his cloak on and jumps in the water now we all know the hardest way to fi to to swim is with clothes on but that's the position that peter's in he takes baggage and all, and he jumps in the water. And he goes to Jesus, baggage and all. And the other guys are in the boat rowing. It's good job, Peter. Keep swimming. We're almost there. They're rowing away. They're, they're, they're just rowing. And he's, uh, 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 because he's, he cloaked himself all he had was a hundred yards to go. Guys, I would have just gone as I was. I would have just jumped in the water to get to Jesus. Just get me to him. But no, Peter cloaked himself. He put all of that old stuff back on. He put that old man back on. He jumped in the water and he goes to the shore. And they join him with their big, fat, large catch go put your finger in that passage and go back to Luke chapter 5 and watch let's see this now something familiar happens in this passage in this passage but where is Luke chapter 5 there it is okay so Luke chapter 5 And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking and they signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish and that they had taken. Peter falls on his knees, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And that is when he was commissioned to be a fisher of men. 
and now he cloaks himself and he makes his way to the Lord. And when he gets to the to the shore, Jesus is preparing. Uh, Jesus has prepared some fish, and he has a fire burning for them. And the scripture says, Jesus said to them, "Bring some fish." Verse ten that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples there asked, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them so that the so with the fish, this was now the third time that Jesus revealed to the disciples that he was raised from the dead. Jesus had prepared a fire with the fish. It says in, um, when Peter denied Christ, they were in the courtyard and some men had built a charcoal fire. And when they had gathered around that charcoal fire and Peter had to warm himself by the fire, that was the time when he denied the Christ. But now Jesus around a charcoal fire had prepared for them some breakfast. And while he prepares for them a breakfast, and perhaps I'm going to say this, while Peter is warming up and drying off by the fire, Jesus turns to him and he says this, verse 15 to 19, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. For one moment, stop. Do you love me more than these? More than these. Who are these? Was it the disciples that he had been perhaps comparing himself to? Was it Thomas, the one that perhaps he was jealous of because he had a personal experience with the Lord and touching the side? Or, or was it the fish? The 153 large fish. Do you love me more than these? You see, it's in this moment that it's a little bit subjective, but I want to propose this thought to you. If Peter was discouraged because the Lord didn't make a special note of him in that upper room, and he decided to go fishing. He decided to go back to what he was familiar with. Back to his old ways. Back to the comfort level. Back to the old man. Back to the old lifestyle. Back to the beer bottle. Back to the drugs. Back to the cigarettes. Back to the woman. Back to my old man. If he was going back to what he formerly was, is the these the old lifestyle? Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than your drugs? Do you love me more than that moment that the alcohol gives you, that fix that the 
alcohol give you? Peter, do you love me more than these? You see, you just brought in a big load of fish. You were just reminded of what you can do when you fish. But do you love me more than that lifestyle? Do you love me more than that tangible benefits? Do you love me more than your job that is robbing you from your family? Do you love me more than that, that job that you're putting in 60 hours and you can't give me two hours on a Sunday? Do you love me more than these, Peter? That's the thought that comes to me as I, as I look at that text. Do you love me more than these? And he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he says, feed my lambs. You see, when the lamb is young, it's, it needs to be very close to the mother because it needs to nurse. And in those nursing stage, everything within that mother's milk is all that that lamb needs. Be sure to feed my lambs everything that they need. Be sure in the early stages of their salvation, in the early stages of their walk. Be sure, Peter. Peter, the one that I have called, the one who, have I, who I have said, upon you I will build my church. Peter, feed my lambs. Attend to the little sucklings. Make sure they're nourished. Peter, Peter, feed my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend to my sheep. Tend to them. What is tending to the sheep? Well, when a shepherd tends to his sheep and one is missing, the shepherd will go out after that sheep, not because the 99 are unimportant, but that's how important the one is. Peter, will you go after the one? Peter, I showed up here on the shore just for you, Peter, because I saw you walking away from your call. I saw you walking away from the blessed hope that I gave you. I saw you, Peter, going back to your old ways. Peter, I saw you even as you jumped off that boat and you put your old robes on. I saw you coming to me. Peter, tend to my sheep. When they get caught in the thicket, Peter, help them out. Because just as I came to you today, Peter, go after my sheep, tend to them, care for them. Peter, tend to them. He said to him a third time, it's significant that he said to him a third time. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now they are no longer just lambs, but feed my sheep. Feed those that have been grown in. Feed those that are of the flock. Feed those. Peter, feed. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hand and another will dress you and carry you 
where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. What just happened here? Jesus brought Peter. It's, it's like a picture. Peter, I'm bringing you back to the charcoal fire. And I'm sitting you before my charcoal fire. And Peter, you denied me three times. And I'm asking you three times. Peter, I called you and you denied your call. Peter, you went as far as to walk away from it. But now I'm inviting you, follow me. What happened? He was commissioned and rebuilt. Commissioned and rebuilt. And we will see in the next coming weeks the different times Jesus appeared while we are awaiting this promise of the Holy Spirit. What do we need to do? Maybe we need to revisit the commission in which God called us. Maybe we need to revisit and make right the times when we denied our Lord. Maybe we need to revisit the times we walked away and went and spent time in nothingness just because we got caught up in the worldly affairs. You see, Pentecost is coming, and it's just a, a time where we recognize when the church was birthed. But you know what? More than anything, can I say we can look forward to the day of Pentecost when we can experience that birthing within us? It takes place 50 days after the Lord rose. And 40 of those days, Jesus walked among his disciples, continuing to teach them, continuing to build them up, continuing to reveal himself to them. And we can only give him a day. And he desires to daily reveal himself to us. He desires daily to walk with us. He desires daily to invite us to that fire where he will have prepared for us the fish and the bread. He invites us daily to come and eat and to be filled by him. He invites us daily to follow him where he will commission us and rebuild us. What do we have to look to the Lord to in tonight? What do you have to consider in your heart before the Lord tonight. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Yes, I know. So follow me. Follow me. Eat. Follow me. Eat. I've got the fire burning. Come, eat. Lord, you know that I love you. I do. Come, eat, eat. Lord, you know all things. I do. And I still have the fire burning. And I still have a meal prepared for you in my word. And I still want to ignite a flame within you. And I still want to be ever fresh to you as I was the day you first came to me.
And I still want to burn within you that wherever you go, everyone could attest to the Jesus that is alive within you. Lord, you know all things. Yes, I do. Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, I do. Follow me. Follow me. And so I pray that as we prepare and as we go through these next week, three weeks, and we prepare for what we would call Pentecost, that we would say, Lord, let the fire burn again within me. Lord, stir it up. If I've become cold, if I've been like Peter and I've put on my old cloak again, then Lord, would you strip that old man from me? Would you strip that old man? Or perhaps you're not the Peter, you're the, Do you're the Thomas. You've seen, you know the Lord, but unless you taste of him, unless you sense him, you will not believe. He's there to reveal to you whether you are a doubter or whether you are a runner. He's there to reveal himself to you because he is very real. Father God, I thank you. I thank you for the simple truth of your word that we could just dive into the stories. We could be brought back in time to those moments and we could know what Peter felt and Thomas felt because we lived those days. But Lord, I am grateful that you reveal yourself to us. Lord, I thank you for the times I have heard your voice. I thank you for the times you have called me out. I thank you, Lord, for the times that you have made known, oh God, the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would turn up the temperature of the fire within my life, oh God. Let the flame become a blaze, O oh God, for you. That, Lord, wherever I may go, that others would see the Jesus within me. O oh God, in my Peter moments, would you prepare a fire? In my Thomas moments, would you reveal once again? For our listeners online tonight, for those in-house, God, you know everyone here, the conditions of our heart. Make yourself known to each one as only you can. From tonight onward, I pray, mighty God, that we would never be the same, but that we would continue to chase hard after you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. And so we thank you for joining tonight. And if you've joined online, we pray that you've been blessed. Join us tomorrow morning as Pastor Dino brings the word of God in his morning devotions. And um, we will be here Sunday morning for another powerful sermon. Come and join us in person. It's not the same unless you're physically here. It's great when you're home, but it's even better when you're here. God bless you. God be with you. And we'll see you again on Sunday. Bye for now.